Hey friends, ever wonder if you could do more good in the world? Our guest lived the American dream and then found God had other plans for him. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 315, Don Larson and Doing Good with Business. Friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so honored you're here that you've downloaded and decided to listen to this conversation. I know it's going to be a good one. I hope it challenges you just a little bit as well. I know it will me, and that's going to be uh, be great. So we'll just invite the Holy Spirit in to, to do that. Are you open to that? I am. Uh, let's, let's go for it. Uh, friends, if you would and you and you would like to, would you just share this episode? It's great if you do that with a friend, with a colleague, with um, you know somebody at church. If you think, hey, you, you've been talking about this, maybe... Maybe that's a, a conversation that would really bless you. That means so much, and it's how the show grows. Would appreciate uh, that. And if you want to support us financially through Patreon, you go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. Uh, you can help support what we do here every single week. Thanks to those of you who already do. All right, friends, let's dive right in. I know this story is going to be uh, amazing just based on what I already know and the and the, the brief conversation we've already had. Our guest is the CEO and founder of the Sunshine Nut Company, um, and he's going to tell us all about how that came to be and his journey. Our guest is Don Larson. Don, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Thanks. It's good to to have you here, and uh, I'm interested in hearing some of your story. I mean, we've already kind of exchanged a little bit. It sounds like it's it's pretty unique, but so tell us a little bit about where you are and where God has you right at the moment before we dive in going back. Well, so God has me in Mozambique, Africa. Uh, Like like right now? Right now. I've been full-time living in Mozambique, Africa for over 11 years. I split my family, a family of five. In 2011, I left my two oldest children. One was in uh, college at, at Gordon College outside of uh, Boston. Mm-hmm. And the other one was at Del- Delaware County Christian School, where my wife was a teacher. And the, all the kids went to right outside of Philadelphia. So he was a senior. She was in college. So they stayed. And then my 13-year-old son, he didn't have a choice. He and my wife and I embarked on a country. We knew nothing, no one. We uh, moved there to open the Sunshine Nut Company. And the Sunshine Nut Company is really a social impact company. It's really a demonstration of how I believe God's God would conduct business. So we are taking subsistence farmers' uh, crops, developing a market for them. In this case, it's cashews, and we we convert those cashews into a premium product that's sold in all 50 states. Um, and what we do with that is we take those proceeds from the company and we give a reverse tie um, back into the con- com- country uh, in three different ways. One, to create more jobs, a third of it. A third of it to create families by pairing up widows with orphans and putting them into homes and creating a family. And then the third one is growing communities by working with the smaller farmers and transitioning them from being subsistence farmers making about $33 a year. So we've got a project going on right now in the conflict regions where all the Islamic insurgency is happening. We're entering in a bunch of villages and putting community farms and village factories in, which will give these subsistence farming families an increase from $33 per year in income 
to about $5,000 per year. So it's Whoa. a radical transformation. And we are nuts about peace and prosperity. So let me give oh. it back to you, Eric. That's kind of like what we've been doing for 11 years. I like that. Nuts about peace and prosperity. Uh, that that's fantastic. Uh, and so then, are you are you grow? So you're the you're partnering with the farmers, right? So you're not growing, but they're growing. The yeah. Nuts. So so what our our holistic model? It's a comprehensive model where you know these people have nothing. They literally have no power, uh, no healthcare, no real not really good schools. You know, the in the entire district, which is I don't know, it's a gigantic area. There's not even a secondary school where we're, we're at. And so the kids go to a, a very basic primary school and then they're out. You know, so this is really primitive stuff. And so what we do is we go in and we ask them to provide 300 hectares. In this case, um, you know, that's about 800 acres that we divide up um, a five acre lot per family that they can grow 500 cashew trees. So we provide the trees, we provide the water, we provide everything and allow them to thrive as not just subsistence farmers, but cash crop farmers. And then we allow them to use our factory kind of as a maize mill to um, shell those cashews and make about 50% more income for very little work. So it's introducing work where there's never been work for generations. Mm, wow, that's amazing, okay. So moving to Mozambique is a huge step and you probably didn't get there overnight. So what I want to do is I want to go back to uh, your story and, and lead us up to how you got here. Cause I know that that was a journey with the Lord. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up, well, I was born in Chicago and my father worked for a printing company, R.R. Donnelly. And yeah. at the age of about six years old, he moved out to uh, Connecticut, where there's a very large factory where they printed just about every magazine you could think of. I lived right on the beach of Old Sabre, Connecticut, from age six to age 13, at which time my dad brought a, home a National Geographic and, and said, this is where we're moving. And it was Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And it was a whole article about the Amish. You know, I was <laughs> like, we're going there. You know, and at 13, I wasn't really up for that, you know. So <laughs> right. uh, we moved there, and it's not, you know, I didn't have to wear the Amish clothing and drive around in a buggy. But um, I had a great upbringing in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And from there, I kind of hung around. You know, I went to Penn State. I got a job at RCA, New Products Division, working in electronics. My background was industrial engineering, robotics, and automation. But RCA got... Hold, uh, hostily taken over by General Electric. So I moved on to a uh, food uh, meat company, Kunzler Meats, and it's been around 100 years, $100 million company. But um, I was a director of engineering. So I did a bunch of engineering projects. And I also flew their hot air balloon. So I got my corporate balloon license, my flight instructor rating and everything. And I just had a lot of fun flying the hot air balloon at wherever there was a crowd. Uh, but after five years of that, I decided I'm not really going anyplace. So that's when I transitioned to Hershey Chocolate. And uh, I took that job largely because my father-in-law was an orphan that grew up in the Milton Hershey School. Most people don't know that an $8 billion um, chocolate company is controlled, has controlling interests 
by an orphanage that Milton Hershey gave his fortune. He gave his factory, his company, 100 wow. years ago to a, an orphan school. And so I love that culture. And in large part, not because I wanted to do that, but because God provides everything you need for the calling that he has for you. And when he finally got my calling to do this and to take care of orphans and widows and subsistence farmers, I had already had the model of Milton Hershey taking care of the farming communities, the, the milk farmers in Pennsylvania, the sugar farmers in Cuba. And then he took care of orphans with a home concept that, you know, I'm just replicating one of the best ways that they've done it in America and bringing it to one of the worst, uh, most desperate companies in, in Africa or in the world, which is Mozambique. Wow. That's kind of wild. So I didn't, I didn't know about that, about Hershey. So we, you know, we, yeah. all, all most of us know are kisses and chocolate bars, right? Right. Um, but it's interesting. So this is the, okay. Without going on too far long of a rant, I think this is maybe part of what your story brings out. Business gets a bad rap sometimes, right? It doesn't have to, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be all about corporate greed and corporate kind of making money for the higher ups. If you approach it from a certain perspective, it sounds like you learned that at, at Hershey as like, no, we're making money, but we're also, then we're using that in order to bring good into the world. Well, if I can say, I'm trying to bring back that good mm. part of, of business because business has a deserved rap. They have a deserved reputation of, That's fair. of being greedy. You know, and it started in the 1970s with Milton Friedman who came out with the edict that uh, a company's sole purpose is to maximize shareholder value. And so everything should be done short term to put as money, much money in the shareholders' pockets as possible. And so that started a whole wave of stopping companies from doing the right thing, from the foundations to taking care of their employees. Everything was about maximizing. And so the short, the, the, the very frequent investor calls where they would rake executives over the coals if they were doing anything that didn't put as much money in the pockets. And so every year since, I think, 2015, 16, I've been going to Oxford University to the Responsible Business Forum. It, 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 it was put together by Mars Corporation, the, my arch, the arch nemesis, you know, chocolate company, Hershey and Mars. They're a great group of people that the, the leader of Mars said it one year, well, how much profit is too much profit? And when should we give, be giving back? So wow. it started a whole wave. Uh, and, and I had already been to Mozambique for five, six years. You know, so this was, they invited me because I was so far off on the deep end helping people that they wanted my perspective you know, in the talks. And so this is something that sadly went away in the 70s that some brave companies are trying to bring that back mm. and say, hey, business should be used for good. And what we're finding, it, it is such an incredible platform for showing God's love and showing the way to take people and, and, and really benefit everyone in the value chain of that particular business. Wow. So business is an incredible platform for showing God's love. That's kind of an amazing uh, statement. All right. So when and how did you meet the Lord? When, when did that happen? 
Yeah, so, you know, my mother, who, who passed away a few years ago, um, I, was, I was by her bedside. I brought her to the Lord, you know, and um, her and my daughter, or excuse me, her and my sister. And we were talking, and she's, you know, she's saying how proud she was and everything. But she said, you know, when you were little, you had a picture of Jesus on the wall right behind you. And I would come into your room, and you'd be having conversations with Jesus. And I'm like, what? And, you know, I said, I don't remember that at all. And, uh, you know, my parents were kind of drop, drop us off at, uh, you know, youth night at, at the local church. It was showing up, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the year to church. Mm. It was better than just Easter and Christmas and all. It was, you know, but our, our, our attendance was sparse. But I don't ever remember much until um, at the age of 22, when I wanted to marry my wife, who was my girlfriend all, th all the way through college, she was Catholic, and so I had to become Catholic. And, uh, you know, so I did that. I went through all that. And our first, it was about seven years of in the Catholic Church that we both decided we really want more of a Bible-based church. I had enough church and my wife was exposed to enough church to say, I would love to really understand the Bible and have the sermons for a long time going in the depth of what, of what uh, the inspired word of God is. And so we became Christians at the age of 29. I had just started for Hershey chocolate and uh, we prayed the prayer of salvation and we're like, okay, well, that sounds like what we've already know, but you know, we'll, we'll go through this. And from that point, God just started to tap, you know, he was knocking at the door. And for about 15 years, I progressed in my faith, both my wife and I, very equally, you know, going to different events, go, you know, being part of the church, um, getting ready to be elders in the church, you know, conducting courses, you know, parenting courses at our house. I attended almost every Promise Keepers event, if you remember oh, wow. those. Oh, yeah. I'm in there Denver. Where they, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was a great organization, you know, but that's where my faith grew. But I, I reached a point at Hershey where, and this was after I became a, a Christian, where the importance of rising, rising up to the corporate uh, structure was not as important. It was more about doing something that was exciting and challenging and fulfilling. And the more I raised up in the organization, I became part of the executive uh, group. I had a different job every year because I'm a turnaround guy. So they, they sent me everywhere that was helplessly broken. So I managed some chocolate factories. I did a lot of corporate level work. I had a lot, you know, I, I was director of global sourcing, director of e-business during the dot-com craze, um, director of strategic sourcing. The last job was director of cocoa operations. So I was in charge of buying uh, like eight to 10% of the world's cocoa. Wow. Now, well, about a billion dollars worth of cocoa on the, uh, the commodities exchange in New York City. But they also had me going into Africa to do fundamental analysis. And they wanted me to outsource cocoa processing, which to shut down the original 100-year-old factory right there on Cocoa Avenue and Hershey, uh, oh, Hershey wow. Avenue. And I didn't want to do that. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. 
Milton Hershey's rolling over in his grave thinking about that. I, I don't want to do that. So I left Hershey and I built the largest cocoa processing factory in the world for a bunch of foreign investors about an hour away at the cocoa ports in Philadelphia. And so I loved Hershey. I loved what they stood for, but I couldn't watch seeing the culture change. And so that's when I, I went, we started up a factory that was fully automated, started up at a hundred million, could have easily taken it to a billion dollars. And um, the foreign investors got an offer by the largest chocolate maker in the world out of Switzerland, Barry Calabout, to buy it. And so I had some ownership. They didn't tell me about it. They, they were ruthless. They were ruthless. They tried to take away my ownership. You know, they didn't want to pay me. And, and I just did a Herculean feat and was planning on bringing this company to, a, you know, much better than what they got. And so that's when I was disgusted. And I decided, you know, what I really want to do is surrender completely to the Lord. And, and that's what I did at that time, despite a lot of amazing job offers at that point. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So a couple of seasons I want to dive into is so we'll take them one at a time. One is okay. you, you know, you gave your life to Christ at 29, you're getting involved in the church and you're working at Hershey, I guess. And you're, you're, you mentioned all these things, right? You were at the Bible studies, you were there, you were doing all this stuff in, in the pews and getting ready to be an elder. And you were kind of in the, in the machine, as it were, I guess it's, oh, it's uh, different. It's different when I, when I tell you about um, the machine, cause you actually have factory experience, but okay. So, but that's like, so you were in the machine of the church being developed and nurtured and, and put together to take those leadership roles. You obviously have leadership skills, what were, were there some moments where you were um, experiencing God or where you were kind of like, what was God, what was your relationship with the Lord? Like, were there moments that were kind of inflection points for you that were. Yeah. Were you you know, I journal now and I wish I journaled back then because I, I can't quite remember how he coaxed me and mm. enticed me, but I know he was there, but I didn't tangibly know he was there. I felt it, you know, at different events. Not like I know now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking for guidance every day, you know, tangible guidance on how to go about. I want to be completely in the Lord's will. At that time, I was worrying about climbing the corporate ladder. What's my net worth statement? How much toys? I had so many toys. You know, I had, by the time I surrendered, I think I had the most toys in the world. My Porsche, my hot air balloon. I was flying airplanes. I had street bikes, dirt bikes, RVs. I mean, you name it. I was a toy haven, you know, and I was just so unfulfilled. I had the greatest job working for the greatest company, doing whatever I wanted. You know, everyone kind of laid off and said, don't just let God Don, do what he wants to do. He always delivers these amazing results. But I was so unfulfilled. I was so wanting something more. And yet I had everything that the world wanted, wanted to give me. And I was fortunate enough to hit that point at the age of 44. Most people spend their entire lives trying to get to that point. And I realized I just climbed up the wrong ladder. And I think that God ladder over there is the way to go because my increasing faith, he was coaxing me. And so I had a great job offer. You know, I went into Campbell's Soup right right when the factory was sold 
you know, I had a nice payout, you know, and I, I could afford to take some time off. So I went into Campbell's Soup that same week. I didn't even have a resume. I interviewed with all the executives and the chief uh, HR person came in at the end of the day and said, I don't know what you did, but they want me to create a senior VP position to make Campbell's excellent. So wow. it's going to take four or five months. Can you take four or five months off? And I'm like, yes, sir. I will definitely do that. You know, I've always wanted time off to relax. And, and, you know, during that time, God really came on strong, mm. really came on strong, where I was starting to hear and I still saw these, these thoughts that weren't my thoughts, kind of freaking me out. Okay, describe but that, I'm because like, I like t- tell us what was something that God said, and like we need to hear the details all right, about so, that. So, you know, I have a ton, and, you know, I just hung up. My wife, it was my birthday two days ago, and I have a picture of St. Francis that I got in Assisi, Italy. I got the same print. It's actually a nice tapestry that I got me and my kids because they used to joke that I took two years off at that point when I surrendered to the Lord. And what happened during that time before I surrendered? It was probably a couple of weeks after I uh, got done going into camels, I had time off and I'm, I'm mowing my lawn on my John Deere tractor. You know, it's got the big dumping uh, bins for the grass. And, and I pull up towards a, a hill that I dump all my grass down. And right next to me, literally three feet from where I pulled up was my bird feeder. And there was a sparrow in there, you know, and it didn't fly away. I'm like, that's strange because this tractor is making a lot of noise. And so I dumped, I get back in the tractor and I'm just watching the sparrow, okay? And I'm looking at the sparrow and I'm, I said to God, I said, God, you even made the sparrow beautiful. You know, you don't think of a sparrow as being beautiful, but I sat yeah. there and watched it. I'm like, that's a beautiful bird. And right as I said that, a red um, male cardinal comes lands right next to the sparrow, looks at me, and I hear, wait till you see the beauty that I will show you. Okay, now that's not my thoughts. And I'm like, did I just hear that? I didn't hear it audibly, but that was a thought in my mind. You multiply that times hundreds of times. And then, you know, it, 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 it really coaxed me to surrender completely. So I got the call in four to five months from Campbell's. The guy said, we finally went through all the regulations. We've interviewed people. There's no one that even comes close to you. Come on in. We want to give you the job. And I said, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm just going to go a different route. I'm just going to, uh, I didn't say I was going to become a pastor, which is what my plan was. They'd go think I was crazy. Yeah. I said, I just want to help people. I want to do something different. And so they said, please come in and talk to us. And so as I was in having a, a lunch with them, the executives, I, they were telling me all the things they wanted me to do. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't do that. I'd do this instead. So I, I wanted to give them some advice on things that I did at Hershey and all. And they're like looking at each other like, who is this guy? And they, the one executive said, how much money is it going to take Don Larson to join Campbell Soup Company? Wow. And I said, it's not about the money. I just want to help people. And I remember leaving and walking down the marble hallway thinking, this is insane. Lord, I hope I'm hearing you correctly because this is the perfect job that I can easily do 
making a lot of money. I'm giving up everything. There isn't a better job that I could have, uh, have done. Yeah. And uh, did a number pop in your head? I'm just curious. Did a number come to your mind? Like, was it like, if I tell them this number, they'll pay it? No, no, it didn't. Didn't even cross your mind. I was making really good money as a CEO of this, uh, this startup. Okay. And so, you know, it didn't even come to mind. It it wasn't important at that point. And I didn't even, it wasn't a negotiating tactic. And, you know, I was the head negotiator for Hershey, you know, head of, so wasn't even thinking that. And I remember walking down and that's one of many tests that God, it's like walking into the Jordan. Okay. Do you really want to surrender to me? And, and I, I had surrendered previous to this. I went in the middle of winter. I told my wife, I think I need to go to solitude. I ended up going down to the Jersey shore, summer, summer's point, renting a hotel room. No one was there. You know, I had the only I think I was the only person in the hotel. I pulled the, the drapes and I, I prayed all night and overnight. And I, I wrote a lot of things. I wrote my grave, my gravestone epitaph. And I, I did a lot of things, but I remember surrendering to the Lord and writing out, you know, I've had the greatest life. You've given me everything that I could possibly have in the first half of my life. I've got the most amazing wife, beautiful children, got the greatest job. I said, but the second half of my life, I surrender and give to you anything you want me to do with my life. I'll do, you know, and uh, he took me up on that offer. (laughs) You know, I I went from there to thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to surrender and after I walked out and demonstrated that I was being uh, committed by turning down the best job, um, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to, Surrender to the Lord, I guess I have to go into seminary. So I started night seminary, you know, Vineyard, <laughs> Vineyard Leadership Institute. So I've gone yeah. from evangelical to progressively more and more charismatic. Not uh-huh. on my doing. It was just the way things went, you know. And well, when I was traveling for Hershey, I mean, we were part of every denomination, Baptist, Methodist, everything. And they're all plausible. And they're all we got along with the, the theology and everything, you know, yeah. it's just this different thinking and what I call it the mystery that you can't quite true. There's all these different thinking is like, well, why don't we all just kind of get together and agree to disagree on the things that there really isn't uh, a, a complete direction, you know, that we can head confidently, but that's another discussion. Well, but that's really that's really interesting because I think we do grow. And there's a point for our friends here, if you're li- when you're listening, that the part of growth is uh, allowing yourself to move along the line a little bit, right? So that um, you know you may not start, you may not be open to a charismatic perspective as a, as a conservative Baptist, but you creak the door open a little bit and you experience God in the way like you did saying something to you. Whoa. Okay. And now suddenly you have to be like the experience blows the doors off the hinges and then you have to go. Okay. And so you, you have to, yeah, you have to go and um, figure that out. Right. So that is absolutely, I think part of the journey. And so it's fascinating to hear about. Yeah. Do you know, uh, when I decided to surrender, 
And I started to hear the Lord's voice. He pulled me out of the woods. I, I spent a bunch of time going out and renting cabins in the woods and all, you know, and it was so amazing that my, my family was really worried about me. No, not, not, not really. My wife was awesome, but she was getting pressured by colleagues, family, friends, everything. Like Don's going off the deep end. He's out talking with the birds and the animals. Get him in, get him back to work. I was having the time of my life. And, you know, it started with me going to different conferences and I had people come up to me and say, you know, I think I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm like, really? Oh, that's interesting. Can I take it? And they would talk oh, about wow. my journey down to the point of intimacy that they could never have known. And I'm a process guy. I'm an engineer. I'm very rational. And I'm like, that's God. How did wow. you do that? Yeah. And I will tell you, whenever I needed an answer, whenever th something's trouble, someone would pop up and give me the perfect answer. And so it intrigued me to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and so I was at the point where I reached a point where I was ready to become a pastor. I was ready to go on mission, you know, whatever. And I was doing something with a, a friend of mine that we, were, we had sold in a, a co life coaching program into the NFL. We were working with the New York Giants are ready to start. We had potentially set up meetings with the Indianapolis Colts and Atlanta Falcons and Dallas Cowboys and all of them. And I was the inter implementer. Well, it was nothing that had ever been done. I'd, I'd ever do, I'd ever done, but you know, I'm up for new things, but God pulled me away from that. He taught me so much within that, but he said, I want you going back in business very, very strongly. He said that, but I want you to do it my will. God's way. And so that is a, that was a pretty intense story, you know, where the person stopped me and said, go back home from what you're planning because God wants you to wait. You know, I'm like, really? And they said, in three weeks, you'll get partial direction and three months, you get full direction. And wow. so I went home, circled the dates. And in three weeks to the day, I was going out, getting a partial direction from the Lord supposedly. But that day I was going on a whitewater rafting trip with 15 dads and their sons from the school that my uh, wife taught at. So I'm like, well, I'm going to meet a guy and he's, we're going to talk at the campfire, something. I'll get partial direction. This is all God. You are just orchestrating something amazing. And so I'm ready to go whitewater rafting. I'm packing up the suitcases and I get in the shower, which I had learned that in the shower and in waking moments where your mind is not taking over, you know, it's lulled is when God can speak to you and you get these thoughts that are not your own thoughts. Yep. And so I step in the shower, but I'm thinking socks, flashlight, uh, some plastic baggies. Oh, I need to, to take, you know, a uh, raincoat, an umbrella. I'm thinking that stuff. And all of a sudden, I don't know where I get build food factories in third world nations to bring lasting economic transformation and name it sunshine. And I'm like, uh-oh, those are two things I said I would never do again. <laughs> wow. And I said, and that wasn't my thoughts. So I wrote it down. Nothing transpired on that weekend. 
I came back and I'm like, okay, well, God wants me to build food factories in third world nations. How do I do that? And that's why I built out this business model. And so I had bought an RV and I decided to take my, my family around the country. And while I'm going around the country, I get this call uh, from, it, it, that's a whole God. I mean, I have so many God experiences that the people at different Christian publishing houses are like, start writing. And I have tons of journals, but my story is not ready to be written yet. Uh, we're knee deep in a lot of interesting things here. But at the time, I was uh, going around and they wanted me to come to Tanzania. The government wanted to pay me to come and give them some consulting. And I will tell you that I was toured around the country. They showed me all these farms. They showed me crops rotting in the field and how they wanted to introduce uh, their product, fresh produce into Europe. And I said, you don't want to do that. You want to convert and you want to do food factories to take your, your perishable stuff that's rotting in the field and turn it shelf stable into a product that can go on your retail shelves or even export. But when your people are starving, you've got product that didn't rot in the fields that's good for years that you can get and feed your people. Yeah. And so they loved it. I was in front on the exact day, three months from when that lady said you get full direction. I was in front of this the president's uh, best friends, the chamber of commerce, university heads, you know, uh, all the banking, financial, all of them were listening to me and giving me a standing ovation. So I went back to my hotel room. I'm like, okay, Lord, you want me to go do food factories in Africa? If you're saying that you want me to do that, I'll do that. And so it shifted to, from Tanzania to Mozambique. It shifted from um, tomatoes, onion, and garlic going into spaghetti sauce, shifted over to cashews, all through God. You know, I can say everything I've done is God pointing me in the direction. So I have no doubt that I'm in God's will. Absolutely no doubt. And all the people coming up to me, you know, give me the confidence. They say prophecy in 1 Corinthians uh, 14 is to edify and encourage. Well, the words that I've gotten are all encouraging to me. And it's so tough. It is so tough to do what we're doing. And I come from liking excitement and, and change and, and risk, you know. And I got to tell you, without those prophetic words, I would have gone home. I would have, because I, I, I would have questioned, did God really want me to do this? Because it wouldn't be this difficult. Well, with the prophetic words saying, you're going to go through so much, but you're going to prevail and you're going to set an example. You know, all these different words give me the confidence to just keep going despite overwhelming odds because God can do the impossible where, um, you know, where normally we wouldn't be able to do it. And I see his miraculous uh going before me, I see how brilliant he is. And that's what makes my life so fulfilling. I sold off all my toys. And I gotta tell you, there's much more, there's something much more intriguing and that's being in God's will when he designed you to do something that he's given you as a task mm. to fulfill. 
because you're ideally suited to what he would design you for. Yeah. So why do you think a lot of people don't ever reach that moment, right? So what, why do you think that is? Oh, because the world has been built to not go that direction. Mm. <laughs> it's very difficult to do. And, and you know, I, I speak a lot and I see the men and the women in the pews exactly where I was of saying, there's more to life than this. I know God wants me to do something more. And unfortunately, with the amount of, uh, you know, the, the, the structure of mortgages and taking care of your family and preparing your kids to go into college and all that is so difficult to break out and do what something like I did. Doesn't mean it can't be done, you know, with, with God, there are ways to do it. I just did it a certain way that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I stepped out in faith, you know, and, and that takes a lot of courage to, to become selfless instead of selfish. And, you know, since doing this, the Bible has come alive. Mm. So when I read the Bible now, I mean, it is so, I feel like I'm reading a menu where the meal is my life, you know, because I look and I see these things and it's not just biblical examples. God works this, he works the Bible through everyone's life. If you're surrendering to his will, you know, and, and, and that's exciting in itself to see the Bible come alive in your own life. Yeah. And that means trials and tribulations <laughs> and to try and find joy in that, you know, well, it does because that's how we grow, right? So we we learn to trust him. I, I go back. One of my favorite examples is Abraham because he receives the calling, but then he doesn't get the fulfillment of the calling for it's a, it's decades, right? And we don't yeah. we we flip a few pages and we hear a few stories about what happened in those few decades, but it really, I mean, live imagine living it day by day, moment by moment, much much harder. Uh, to do. And so no, it's no wonder when he makes a mistake or he's like, well, maybe we'll do it this way. It's because it was a long time, right? It was because he was suffering and go, going through it and living with that pain. Uh, so yeah, that like the Bible can absolutely uh, come alive for it, for you um, as you experience that. And you, you can relate to it in a different way. I, I hear you saying that as well. Yeah. You know, I went to uh, IHOP, International House of Prayer. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, with Mike Bickle and all. Mike Mike Bickle wasn't there, but I was. I met some. You know, I'd been down in Washington at the Cedars House, and you know, one of the, one of the people watching over the guests that come into that right in Arlington. Uh, you know, I would stay there. I was invited to stay there, and one of the guests invited me out to IHOP because he was on the leadership. You know, and so when I got out there, I had these two prophetic teams pray over me, and it was two different nights about an hour of them just praying and it was a it was wonderful stuff you know i mean being in ihop and just praying all day you know listening to worship music was wonderful very good rest one of the things that they said on the second night that rang through is like don i see you're like um you're like joseph and where joseph he was in jail I, you know, until his word came to fruition, 
until he was released, his word tested him. His future tested him. He said, mm-hmm. you know, you are in jail as well. I said, well, how long am I going to be there? <laughs> you know, and I said, we don't know. And, and I believe I've just been let out after 10 years. Mm. You know, the 11th year, which I just hit, you know, is a year, I forget what they said, is just of moving forward, of change and all. And so we, we had total energy show up and say, you know, your model of taking care of the farming communities. Well, we have an Islamic insurgency up north where we've shut down a $20 billion gas installation. And the communities around that are feeling, you know, we want to give them opportunity. We want to give them hope, give them employment and everything. We'd love you to come up. And so they have funded us to do our project in the south and in the north. And it's created all kinds of great possibilities. I mean, we've been selling a product in the U.S. We're now in Europe. We're in the Middle East. But because of what we're doing in the Islamic insurgent area, where 4,000 people have been killed and 800,000 have been displaced, um, we have completely changed our structure to allow ourselves to do the vertical integration that will give us a supply we cut out all the middlemen, all the costs. We're able to pay the farmers so much more than even the government recommends as a fair rate. And we're able to then enter into the market and compete anywhere in the marketplace. And so that's going to start happening right in the beginning of 2023. You know, so, you know, I, I hope that we're finally out of jail and that, you know, we're able to start really prospering and really showing the the substance of the business model that got da- downloaded to me mm. and it's been a rough it's been a really rough eight years the marketplace is a very tough environment the financial getting you know no one wants to invest in mozambique because it's so uh, it's second poorest country in the world second uh for uh, competitiveness second worst for being competitive and doing business second worst to be an expatriate living there. You know, it's not a, a fun place to be, but God brought me here and the people are wonderful. But, you know, it's, it it's needs a lot of help. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm at. And I'm privileged to be asked by the Lord to be here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what have you learned in those eight years or so about yourself uh, as you've been going through that kind of difficult season? Uh, I think probably to get out of God's way, you know, um, you know, they talk about, are you striving to do things yourself? I mean, I have a, an incredible background of experience that I think, well, I can take care of things and, and God's teaching me, you know, what are you doing? I have a whole way, you know, you have a hundred different ways. Do you want to try your 99 or do you want to really wait? on me to find the one way where you're going to really prosper and because it's the way I want you to go. So I've had to learn kind of the hard way of mm. getting, you know, I used to say before I moved that, you know, God's trying to get your attention. So he puts you all these clues in front of you and you keep missing them until he gets out the two by four mm-hmm. and he whacks you. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's what you're trying to teach me. That's what you want me to see. So I really don't like getting hit by the two by four. I like to try and uh, 
hear what God's telling me to do, you know, before it, it's painful. And I'm not saying he he swings a two by four, I choose the enemy does it, you know. Yeah. Like I told you to go this way, are you gonna follow me now? You know, so I think what I've learned is God is so far beyond brilliant and his ways are not our ways. And I've learned to do things that are, are this is why I want to have ownership of the company because I don't mm-hmm. want to deal with other owners to do something that I feel God's asking me to do because God knows my thoughts and he knows if I'm being obedient to him or not, you know? And even if I go the wrong way and I go down the wrong path, but I think it's God wanting me to go down that path, he knows I'm honoring him and I'm desiring to be obedient. And he will always put me on the right path. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You're a guy, you're an achiever, you're successful. You you had really kind of everything American Dream could possibly provide, right? And and give you. And you Not found anymore. Well, you did, right? You, but you did, but you found that stuff, right? And you were you could probably go back to it if you wanted to, I'm guessing. You could get yeah. you could get anything you 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 really you really want leaning on the abilities that God gave you, right? Yeah. But you've learned instead to walk your life with the Lord uh, and, and to go to those, to those places that don't make sense, even, you know, and, and to use your skills in the kind of, in those directions. Um, I just think that's really, it's fascinating. So you so that might be the definition of learning to not lean on your own understanding, but to follow the path that he sets out for you. That when I went out into the woods for the first time, I didn't have an incredible command of scripture, but he would give me Bible verses. And I got Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 7. Yeah. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, I have it in my office, everywhere. You know, there's there's a couple ski, what I call my foundational scriptures is that, you know, lean not on your own understanding. Here's my Bible here. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's usually where it stops, but he gave me seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. When people talk to me Mm -hmm. and pray over me, they usually say, pray against pride. And, you know, and they give me examples and it's like, I got to watch because I've achieved so much that when all this is happens it's going to be successful okay i know it's going to be successful despite all <laughs> the things that are in the way he's going to deliver this and it's all him and i can point back and say yes i was a co-creator i was a co-implementer but he led the way and he was the one that did all this it wasn't me you know, and quite honestly, I, I think he moves society the way he wants to. Hmm. And I, I'm challenged that if you're in front of a bunch of, I, I have this vision one time, this vision that was going to be in front of all these CEOs. Now, when I say this on air, they're probably not going to invite me to be in front of a bunch <laughs> of CEOs. But I'm going to tell you that um, the vision was to be in front of all these secular CEOs where I say, hey, everything I did to achieve the success that you have me speaking about, it was all God. I just followed what God told me. 
And I said, all of you might scoff and laugh at that, but I challenge you to think back and to look forward. And as you're developing something, were you thinking about it and trying to come up with a solution or did it just pop in your head? And I said, I guarantee you it pops in your head. And I think you should give the credit to your creator who gave you that. Mm. Because I think he moves society forward as he sees fit. And you should give him the acknowledgement and the glory that he deserves. Wow. Amen. All right. Uh, so I did want to have you just tell us a little bit more about the way that it works um, and, and how you get that. Cause I'm really curious about, so you're the farmers grow the nuts, right. And they, yeah. and they can harvest it and they can process it. Then what happens? Yep. So, so the farms, the community farms, um, we have a, a couple of different ways of we doing this. And, uh, but once the cashews are out of their shell, there's still a peel on them. And so those cashews come down to the factory in Mozambique. Okay. And, and right now, um, you know, we're doing, we're buying cashews off of other companies. Well, they're not being forthright with selling to us and they're selling for higher than, than what we should be getting them for. They're making us prepay. I think other customers get lower prices they get payment terms, 30, 60, 90 days and everything. But the fact that we are doing things uh, and providing such incredible benefit for the farmers, I don't think they like that or they don't like that that's happening. So it's a tough slog here, but very mm. soon we're going to have so many cashews. I mean, we're looking at doing 40 villages in the next five years. Um, that's uh, close to hundred million dollars worth of, of business. Um, it could grow substantially. We're, we've got some very creative ideas that um, I have some, some retailers, uh, one retailer alone out of the, Europe that came to us and wanted to uh, partner with us and give us all their cashews. And it was wow. $15 million of business for just one retailer to do their private label. I'm like, I can't do that. I don't have the investment. I don't have the funds to grow that because in Mozambique, you need to have collateral. You need to have money to get money. You have, need to have equipment to, to protect uh, the banks. And then outside companies that don't have the, uh, the, the stomach to, and the risk uh, um, tolerance to, to come into Mozambique. So the substantial possibilities. But what we do with that product is we bring it into our factory in the capital city area in a free trade zone. And we, we, um, we roast, package, season and package the product into premium packaging. And so it leaves Mozambique ready to go on the shelves. And so if you go to Whole Foods, Wegmans, depending on where you're at, we're in the fine food uh, retailers. We've been there. The first store I, I went into is Giant, uh, you know, Ahold, which is Giant Stop and Shop on the East Coast, and then Whole Foods all over the country. Um, so we've grown, you know, but, but it takes money to grow because of the cash cycle and all. And so we've, mm -hmm. been, we've been kind of stagnating because we haven't been able to get the finances. You, you'd think 
that we would get all these finances. And now our, our margins are gonna be really, really good, which will allow us to reduce price and, and create this really fantastic uh, outcome for the company. Yeah, which is great. Way, so we have, you know, we have orphan homes surrounding the factory where we built homes and we've renovated homes. We find either vulnerable women or um, widows, and then we pair up each of them with four to six orphans, and we create this family. It's been going great. Our first, our first family was set up in 2014. The kids were out on the street. Our employee called us, three siblings. The, the oldest was 12, a girl, Cecilia, then a, a, a five-year-old uh, sister and a three-year-old brother. And the mother had just committed suicide. The children found her. Um, you know, the father previous to that was killed in an auto. There was no one to, to take care of them. So, you know, we said, hey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to buy a home. We're going to put you in a family setting. Because we couldn't put them into the established orphanages because of the nature of how those are run. We didn't want three siblings to go into that system where, they're in with 40 kids and no real supervision, no one to love on them. Mm. So my wife, give her all the credit in the world. She came up with a, a, a model that we largely took after her father that grew up in the Milton Hershey school system of, of love growing up in a Mozambican neighborhood with a Mozambican culture, with a Mozambican woman and catering to make sure that they can survive in a Mozambican environment. And so Cecilia, one of the things we asked, she was so scared, 12 years old. Her mother committed suicide, but before she did, she had her hair done by her friend. And she said, I'm ready to end my life. I'm going to commit suicide. And the, the, the friend said, well, what do you, what's going to happen to Cecilia? What's your kid? And she said, well, Cecilia is pretty enough that she can make it on the street as a prostitute. Oh, no. you know, and the others will be picked up somewhere because they're young. And she's 12 years old. And so we asked Cecilia, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? Right when we met her. And she said, I want to be a lawyer because I want to help people who can't help themselves. And so, you know, all the kids, all of our kids, it's like we, I, we signed for 22 kids. I'm supposed to be an empty nester now. I've got 22 more kids that I'm <laughs> fathering. Um, but they're all in private school. Cecilia graduated from one of the best high schools. There's a Christian high school. Only 1% of children graduate high school in Mozambique. 1%. She was wow. one of those 1%. Now she's studying law at a good university. And we have her set up to go to Europe, uh, to the Netherlands, to, to spend some time as a foreign exchange student there. So, you know, we've got a lot of amazing stories in the process. And, and, Coming out of the village will be a bunch more amazing stories. So yeah. that's what we love about this, this challenging assignment, this calling that God has us on. Yeah, I love it. Okay, friends, uh, you can find, just go to sunshinenuts.com if you want to find uh, their nuts, I guess. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at, uh, the, the shopper right here. And there's, I can see you're all over Denver where I am. So it is widely available. I got to head up to, uh, sprouts here in just a minute anyway. So that'd be great. And, uh, I'm pick some up, uh, friends, 
you go go there if you want us to help support probably the best thing you you could do from where you are my guess is is just buy some nuts right go go there and buy some nuts that helps a lot and if you go into any store we are in all the major distributors so if you can't find sunshine nut company cashews go up to the front and say hey do you know about this company these are the greatest most premium cashews but they do so much good our tagline is we make the world's best to make the world better so if you ask the store manager they will start ordering them and bringing them in so everyone can do us a great favor not only by just buying us but making sure every store that you go in, they know that they should be buying them. There you go. That's really helpful. Um, yeah, I love it. Don, thanks so much for sharing some of your story. Is there anything you want to leave us with? No, no, just I challenge all of you. You know, I know where I was at. I know I would sit in the church pew looking around saying, you know, I'm helping out in the nursery. Sometimes I greet at the door. But I think there's more to serving the Lord than doing just that. Now, there's a place for that. But from what I learned, I just wanted to go deeper with the Lord. And so I surrendered and said, Lord, use me however you want me. And he will challenge you to see, do you really want to do that? And if you pass those tests, he will sweep you off your feet into the most exciting life. And uh, it's not an easy life, but it's a life that there's no regrets. And I had a lot of regrets starting to build, even though I had everything I wanted in the world. I knew that it, it wasn't the world that I should be chasing. It should be the Lord. And so I challenge everyone to, to give it all you can to determine, are you on the right course with the Lord? Most of you probably are, but if you aren't, Get on that road because that's where you're going to find fulfillment. Are you ready, friends? Let's go. All right, Don, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eric.